I don't know if I need this or not. I'm a street preacher, so uh, i got to learn how to lift my voice up without microphone, because a lot of times they won't let us use those microphones. But sometimes they do. And you get spoiled by it. Oh, I don't even know how to use these things. Excuse me. Okay, let's try this again. Good morning. My name is Jesse Boyd. I recognize many faces in here, some I don't. It's a true honor to be with you this morning. Last week, my brother and I were, uh, my Christian brother and I were uh, blessed to be able to join you for a night of revival. Uh, from there, we went on up north, and this past week in the intervening window here, God allowed us to preach the gospel in the open air on four college campuses, in front of the White House in many places up in Washington, D.C., right in front of Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right by a statue of George Washington with his hand on the Bible, we were able to call that city to repentance. To preach in front of two or three mosques, believe it or not, we've already been invaded as a nation. There's mosques all over the place calling out to a false god, and we have to go and tell them the truth. So I'm on my way back home now, and it's an honor to stop in and see you guys. I'm blessed that my family could join me this morning, and Very shortly, we will not see your face for a very long time. We're headed back across the ocean, and I don't know when we're coming back. So uh, please pray for us. But who I am and what I do is of little importance this morning. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And I just want to share something with you that the Lord has laid on my heart for the body of Christ. I'm not talking to the lost this morning. You may be here... And you may not know Christ. You may not have embraced salvation. I pray there's something in my words that would spark you to repentance and faith. But my message this morning is for the church. It's for the true Christians in this place. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, I'm going to read on to verse 18. It says this, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Thank You, Father, for this Word written to us, written to the church at Ephesus long ago, and written to us today. That's the nature of Your Word. It transcends the corridors of time. Lord, as Paul attempted to shake up the believers at Ephesus, may we be shaken this morning to live as light, to live as lights, to walk circumspectly, to redeem the time, and to know and understand what Your will is this morning. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Brother, is this thing even on? There we go. Maybe now you can hear me. I hope I didn't just waste my breath for five minutes. I hope you could hear me. (laughs) Ephesians is one of those epistles written by the Apostle Paul when times were not good. It was when times were bad that he wrote this epistle. He was in prison. Something that we as Christians don't know anything of but something many believers around the world have tasted. Even that book of Philippians was written from prison. And what did Paul tell us to do? To rejoice. Now, if he can tell us to rejoice while in prison, and he can tell us to redeem the time while in prison, surely we who are comfortable 
can do what the Apostle says under the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians was written around A.D. 64. Paul was in prison, as was he when he wrote Philippians, Colossians, possibly 2 Timothy, the book of Philemon. And here in Ephesians, Paul is not writing to the local body of believers per se. He's talking about the church in general. The universal church. That great mystery whereby God gathers together a peculiar people, both Jew and Gentile, called out as a special people for His namesake. You see, God made promises to Israel and the Jews. God has a specific timeline in which He is going to complete everything He has purposed for the people of the Jews. You can read that in Daniel chapter 9. But in the midst of that, God had a special program. A special program in which He would call out people from all nations, tribes and tongues, to be a light and heralds of the gospel of the grace of God. Now the day is coming when God will be finished with the church. God will call the church home. Then He'll turn again to the Jews and they will wake up like Paul did on the road to Damascus. God will seal witnesses that will go out throughout the world in days of tribulation. Preach the truth, the coming of Christ, and many Gentiles will then hear. But friends, we are the church. There are three different types of people in the world. Jew, Gentile, and the church. And we are called to be a light for Jesus Christ in this day and time. See, it's, we're going to wake up one day and the time of the church is going to be over. Christ is going to call us home. And when He comes to call us, Will He find us doing? Or will we just be sitting around? Will we be happy or will we be ashamed? And Paul is writing about these things to the church in general. And he tells them here, Awake! Wake up! Friends, there's much I could say from this passage this morning on what it means to wake up. In Romans, Paul says it's time to wake up. For now, our salvation is closer than it's ever been before. And then he says to put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We know what the armor of light is. Ephesians chapter 6. Our weapon is the Word of God, but we don't even wield it anymore. We've forgotten that we have a weapon. And it's gathering dust on the shelf. We need to wake up. I could talk about how to wake up is to watch and be sober. Some of us in our past lives if you call yourself a Christian, I hope this isn't the case today, but in our past lives, we know what it is to be drunken. Soberness is the opposite of that. And we're called to be sober in spirit. That's what it means to wake up. I could talk a little bit about what Paul says here concerning walk, walking. To walk circumspectly. To, to walk circumspectly is soberly, cautious, mindful of the days we live in. Are we mindful of the days we're living in? Do you understand these days are evil? Do you understand that the America of our fathers is not the America of today? If there's anything that our president has spoken that is absolute truth, it is these words, America is not a Christian nation. He's right about that. These are not the days of our fathers. We can't take for granted the freedom we have in this moment. And we can't take for granted that the church is doing its job because it's not. In fact, I would say to you that evidence that God's judgment on America is already here. It's plain evidence. That evidence manifests itself at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings across this country by the caliber of preaching that is in the pulpits. That's evidence of God's judgment. Preaching that cares not for hard truth like right here in Ephesians. You ought to thank God you have a pastor 
that doesn't compromise on these things. And I know he doesn't compromise on these things. Brother Terry before him didn't compromise on those things. That's a blessing you should not take for granted. Paul talks about redeeming the time here in verse 16. There's much I could say the time does not allow. To redeem the time is to make up for what we've lost. Many of us have wasted our time as Christians. God knows I have. For many years of my Christian life, I thought not to open my mouth and speak the gospel to my neighbor. God tells us to love our neighbor. To love them is to tell them the truth even if they hate us. And now, if God so will, may He give me every opportunity to stand on a college campus with them spitting in my face that I may tell them of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We've got to redeem the time. If we've been asleep, if we've not walked, it's time to wake up and redeem the time. Third John talks about how we should walk in truth. That's the opposite of what Jude warns about. Jude says that in the last days there will come mockers walking after their own lust. We see this all over the place in the church. We are to walk in truth. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. There's so much to say here, but I want to focus particularly on verse 17. In Colossians 4, verse 5, another one of the prison epistles, Paul tells us to walk in wisdom toward them or that, that are without, redeeming the time. And in that same vein, in verse 17 here, he says, Wherefore, be not unwise. To be not unwise is to be walking in wisdom. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Friends, these days are dark. Look around. The world is on fire. America is falling apart. Things that have been written of old time are coming to pass. If there's ever a time we need understanding specifically about the will of the Lord, it's now. We need to understand the will of the Lord and walk in wisdom. And I exhort you as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to walk in wisdom and to seek an understanding of God's will. We must. Or that day will overtake us as a thief. You know, Jesus talks about coming back like a thief in the night. That's written to those that don't believe. Paul uh, or... um. Paul tells us in Thessalonians that that day should not overtake believers as a thief. It shouldn't. We should be ready. We should be watching. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Paul calls us in this passage to wake up, to walk, but specifically to understand. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. To walk and to be not unwise means to have wisdom. God calls us to be wise. What is it to be wise? What does the Bible tell us is the beginning of wisdom? Solomon wrote it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we desire to walk in wisdom and be not unwise, we must fear the Lord. Some people try to divide the Old Testament from the New. They try to say, well, we don't need to fear the Lord. That's the Old Testament. My friends, the New Testament tells us to fear the Lord. Peter says, fear God. Jesus Christ said, don't fear those that can kill your body, but fear Him who has power to cast both body and soul in hell. Fear Him, I say. What is fear? Fear is a reverential trust that goes hand in hand with a hatred of evil. If we fear God, we're going to hate the things that God hates. And we're going to love the things that God loves. 
You see, the problem with America is we're guilty like Israel and the nations of old of calling the things God calls evil, we call them good. And the things God calls good, we call evil. I have a sign, a placard I like to hold when I'm out on the streets or on a college campus. It says from Isaiah 5, Woe unto them that call evil good. And then in parentheses, abortion, homosexuality, fornication, greed, arrogance, war. All of these things that in America we call good, God calls them evil. And those that call good evil. In parentheses, prayer, righteousness, purity, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Bible. You see, we've got it backwards here in America. As I was preaching in front of Independence Hall the other day, I mentioned I was drawing a contrast between the founding fathers and the government of today. Between society when this nation underwent times of trial to today when we're fat with the blessings of God. And I talked about how John Adams, our second president, wrote in one of his journals that he would go to his bedside nightly while leading the country. And he wrote that he would kneel down with heartfelt sorrow in a spirit of repentance toward God, asking God to forgive him for his many sins, foibles, and weaknesses that had characterized his life as he tried to lead this country. Now contrast this with our great leader today. What's happened to America? Today we talk about everything but the Lord. When our president stands to speak at a university where there's a cross above his head, now it was a Catholic university and Catholicism's not Christianity. He didn't want that cross showing. God forbid we would link ourselves with the Lord. I stood outside the White House on a speaker turned up so loud you could hear it two blocks away. They didn't say a word to me. Mr. President, I love you. Please lead our nation in repentance or we're doomed. And Mr. President, it's not your fault that we're here today. It's the fault of us, the church. We turned a blind eye to injustice. We were asleep. And that's why men as yourself are in control in this country. I pray you'd repent and trust Christ. Amen. I pray you'd repent. We are to fear the Lord despite the fact that the church society today says not to. Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Do we hate the things that God hates? I'm not talking about hating people. I'm talking about hating with a righteous hatred the works of darkness. It says in Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days. If we want to live long in the land, we would fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. If we want to depart from eternal death, we'll fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. These were all written in Proverbs. And the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. They that abide therein will be satisfied. Are we satisfied with the fear of the Lord? Paul talks about the wicked in Romans 3 in the guiltiness of the world before God. And he describes the wicked in many ways. And one of the things he says is there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the problem with America. There's no fear of God. That's the problem with the church. That's the problem with the young people who come up as I'm trying to preach the gospel on the college campus and tell me I shouldn't be doing that. That I'm going to offend somebody. There's no fear of God. 
Young people today, do you fear the Lord? He is a righteous judge. Do you fear the Lord and trust Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you to God. And my friends, Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you from God. To be not unwise and to understand the will of the Lord, we must fear the Lord. Again, fear is not to cower in a corner and be afraid. We don't have to be because of Christ. But to have a reverential trust in God. To agree with the things God says and to hate the things God hates. That's the fear of the Lord. And we prove that not with our words, but with the way we live. The things we do. The things, as Brother Wesley was speaking about, that are the priorities in our life. I love sports. I love college basketball. I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. That might not put me in your good graces. But friends, if I love that more than God, I'm an idol worshiper. If I love that more than opening my Bible and witnessing the loss, I'm an idol worshiper. And I don't fear the Lord. There's many things we as Christians have liberty to do in Christ. But we're told not to be overcome with anything. Some of us are addicted to Facebook. I'm talking to an older generation. Some of you may not know what that is. If I'm spending more time on Facebook, young people, than I am with the Lord, it's an idol. I love Facebook. Facebook is a way I can share with believers how to pray for me. Because of Facebook, believers flooded the police department with phone calls a few days ago at the University of Delaware and said, we demand that you let those preachers go. Charges were dropped and my three brothers were released. You see, we were arrested simply for talking to students about the gospel. I was able to flee the scene Needed to because I had a camera. I didn't want them to erase the pictures. They erased, they erased the recording audio we had. But um, because of these things, Christians got involved. They made phone calls and took a stand. That's what we need to be doing today. But we shouldn't be overcome by anything. It says here again in verse 17, Be not unwise. We understand that wisdom comes from God. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand the will of the Lord. Many of us spend a lot of time praying and seeking to know God's will. Sometimes to our own detriment. We just sit around. We're looking for a sign, looking for a feeling. Lord, what is Your will? My friends, we're wasting time. We, we know what God's will is. God's will is here. We need to understand the will of the Lord. God has put Himself some people have said, you know, you can't say that. You can't preach that. God's not, God's not in a box. Friend, God has put Himself in a box. He's put Himself in the box of His Word. And God will never lead you to do anything that's against this book. If you feel compelled and you think it's the Spirit of God that would lead you to do something against this book, you're being led by the spirit of error. If we want to know the will of the Lord, we've got to get in this book. We've got to know... And believe His Word. God's will equals God's Word. Taken in context. Not ripped out of context to twist it to make it say what we want it to say. Not focusing on something that was written specifically to Israel and twisting it. God's will is God's Word in context. The Word of God has some specific things to say to us about His will. And if we would understand the will of the Lord in these dark days, 
We must embrace these truths. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, John the Apostle contrasts doing the will of God with loving the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Those that love the Father do the will of God. So we know specifically that the will of God is the opposite of loving the world. James chapter 4, He that is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Revelation 2, the church at Pergamos is warned because it had embraced the doctrine of Balaam. I don't have time to go into that Old Testament story from Numbers. But what Balaam did was use the world to tempt God's people and therefore achieve his own ends in ministry. The church at Pergamos was using the world to achieve its ends in ministry. And friends, this is happening all over America. Using the world to try to attract the world. And therefore the gospel goes down the toilet. The will of God is not to embrace the doctrine of Balaam. It's not to sit up here and say as some prominent Christian teachers, well, God doesn't judge. He does judge. Or when asked, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Well, no, there's no well about it, friends. Christ is the only way. I don't make any apologies for that. It's not to sit here and try to shy away from the clear things God says about homosexuality, about abortion. The reason the babies are dying is because the church is silent. How many of you folks drive I-85 between here and Greensboro kind of regularly? I do. Have you ever noticed in a place called Hall River, the Hall River exit, there's two smokestacks. If you're heading west, it's on your left. If you're heading east, it's on your right. They're black and white. And there's white smoke pouring into the sky. Have you ever seen this? Do you folks know what's coming out of those smokestacks? Did you know that that is a place run by a company called Stericycle where the remains of aborted fetuses and babies from all over the country are shipped and that's what's burning at that plant? Why don't we know that? We're asleep. Why do we tolerate that here in North Carolina? Why do we tolerate a modern day concentration camp where human flesh is burning? Because we've been asleep. We've been asleep. Do you know that 4,000 babies a day in this country are murdered under the guise of choice? I don't know about Raleigh. I know in Charlotte there's three abortuaries down there. We try to go down there and preach the gospel. And people don't care. And people coming in there, women with babies in a womb, are claiming to be Christians. We're asleep. That's a friend of the world, not to tell the world the truth. Not to tell our churches the truth. If I were to stand here and tickle your, excuse me, your ears, I would be a friend of the world. Not doing the will of God. The churches in America have been silent. The world is on fire. The land is defiled. And we need to understand the will of the Lord. We need to understand that to do God's will is to do His Word. We need to understand that to do God's will is not to love the world. Young people, God says not to be a friend of the world. Some of you are in school. Some of you are homeschooled. It doesn't matter. God calls us not to be a friend of the world. 
please. It's so much harder for you than it was for when I was a teenager. Now, when I was a teenager, if there was any suspicion that you were homosexual, you were picked on unmercifully. I'm not justifying that. But today, it's like the cool thing to be. It's cool to be gay. What has happened to us? Don't be a friend of the world. And let no one tell you that's okay. It's not. Now, we expect the lost to do the things that the lost do. You know, when the lost lie, when the lost steal, they're just as guilty as sodomites in God's eyes. I'm not minimizing sin, I'm maximizing it. A lie in God's eyes is just as bad as sodomy and homosexuality. But God's not called us to those things. And if we're claiming the name of Christ, we need to flee those youthful lusts. What else does God tell us to do specifically? 1 Thessalonians 4.13 This is the will of God. So we know this is God's will here. That you abstain from fornication. Young people. God's will is for you to abstain from fornication. And then it goes on to say in another passage, I believe Paul talks about possessing our vessel in honor. We are called, men in particular, to possess our vessel, our wives in honor and not to commit fornication. Not to commit sexual sin outside of marriage. Fornication could be sleeping with someone you're not married to. God says that's a sin against your own body. If you're a fool to do that, young people. Fornication is also, as Jesus said, lusting in our mind. You see, God sees our lust as adultery and our hatred as murder. Thank God for Jesus Christ because we can't measure up to that standard. God judges the thoughts. There's many things I haven't done in my life, but if you could see my thought life over my years of life, if it were projected up here, I would run from this place and hope you would never see me again. God judges those things. Fornication isn't just the act, it's the thought. We need to flee those things. If we're married, we need to turn our thoughts away from lustful thinking with other women. And we need to possess our wife in honor. Love them as Christ loved the church. We know this is the will of God. And if we're going to be different than the world in these dark days, that's an area where we need to be different. There's so much sexual sin in the church. There's so much divorce. There's so much everything. God can forgive. But it doesn't make it right. 50% of marriages in the church end in divorce in this country. I'm not preaching at you if that's been part of your life. God can forgive. If God can forgive me for the things I've done in my life, He can forgive that. But it's not right. And we need to be teaching that it's not right. And we need to be praying that these marriages stay together. Particularly young people. It's God's will to abstain from fornication. If we want to understand His will, as Paul says here, let's abstain from fornication in thought, word, and deed. Guys, if you're out there and you're addicted to pornography, you need to put it away. That's fornication. If you're calling yourself a Christian and you're looking at porn, you're a hypocrite. You're glorifying something that makes women like a piece of meat. And that's abominable. And now, that days, it's so easy. When I was a teenager, if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to go in a gas station and buy it. And no, I didn't have the guts to do that because it was embarrassing. Now you can just go to your computer and there's no accountability and it's everywhere. Flee from these things. I beg of you. First Thessalonians 5, we're given another specific clue about God's will. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God's will is for us to be pure. And God's will is for us to be grateful. In everything giving thanks. 
Are we thanking God for the blessings in our life? Are we thanking God for our salvation? Are we thanking God for His teaching, for our pastors, for our churches? So many of us, when we pray, if we do, our prayers are they're clouded with, God, please do this for me. God, please help me here. Please, can I have this? Please, will you do this for me? That's not the model Jesus set for us in prayer. When He taught us to pray with the Lord's Prayer, He taught us to praise God for who He is. To thank God for what He's done. And to trust God to take care of our needs better than we could ourselves. It's God's will for us to give thanks. Are your prayers characterized by thankfulness to God more so than asking God something for yourself? When the times are bad, when there's sickness, when there's death, when there's trial, when there's financial hardship, God's will is for us to thank Him. And that makes us different from the world. That makes us a light to the world, a world that's ungrateful. A country that is ungrateful for the blessings of God. People walk around, God bless America. God already blessed us. We've been ungrateful. I like to hold a sign when I preach very simple. It doesn't say God bless America. It says God save the United States. Save us. We're ungrateful. We're ungrateful for the blessings God has given us. We deserve His wrath. But God calls us to be thankful. We can even be thankful for the people we have in government today. Because God rules in the kingdoms of men. And maybe God's using this to usher in His coming. I'm grateful for that. If this is the doom of America, if this is the doom of the world, then Jesus says when you see these signs, lift your heads up and rejoice for your redemption draws nigh. Maybe that's the day God calls us to be thankful. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17 is another specific statement of God's will. Again, here in Ephesians 5, in this day and time, we need to be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 2 Corinthians 6, God's will is that we be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That means in marriage, in dating relationships, young people, if you're a Christian, you have no excuse to date a non-believer. Well, I want to win him to Christ. Win him to Christ by being a witness to them. Not by dating them and giving yourself away to them. God calls us not to be unequally yoked in business partnerships and all these other things that cause trouble and cause the gospel to be compromised. Not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers in the church. Sometimes in the church we're more concerned about bringing the lost in and forgetting that the purpose of the church is not to bring the lost in, but to train, to encourage and exhort the believers so they go out and win the lost. We need not be unequally yoked. That doesn't mean we are rude or hateful toward the lost. No, we love them. We love them enough to tell them the truth. But we're not going to compromise what God says true to get a smile or a pat on the back. Be not unequally yoked. God's will, Philippians 1.29, 1 Peter 5.19, God's will is that we as believers suffer for Him. Now that's hard to swallow. But Philippians 1.29 said it is given to you in the behalf of Christ. That means it's a gift. Not only that you believe on Him, but you would suffer for His sake. 
to suffer for the Lord is a gift. It's God's will to be a testimony to the world that our home is not here, but it's in heaven. 1 Peter 5.19 tells us that if any suffer according to the will of God, so the word suffering is according to the will of God, don't complain, but commit your souls to a faithful Creator. Dark days are coming. I wish I was as old as some of you folks in here today. I wish I was as old as some of you seasoned citizens. Because maybe God will take you home before you have to see these wicked days. It says in Isaiah, I believe it's 57, that sometimes the righteous perish. And nobody ever considers that God is simply delivering them from evil days to come. That's what I preached at Miss Linda's funeral several years ago. But there's dark days coming and we may be called to suffer in ways that Christians around the world have been familiar with for centuries. Something we have not known. But why should we be any different? And if God calls us to suffer, then we need to keep our souls entrusted to God and His will be done. A brother of mine that I trust very dearly, he kind of approached me recently and said, look, I have a real check in my spirit about where you're headed overseas and I'm afraid you're not going to come back. Well, I mean, they told Paul that when he was on his way to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit says you're going to get in trouble. Paul's like, i got to go. I don't know that there's any truth to that. It was simply a brother concerned. I just said, friend, i got to go. i got to do what God's called me to do. If we suffer... So be it. That's God's will in our lives to perfect us. To bring Him glory. And if we give thanks in time of suffering, then friends, that makes us the diametric opposite of the world. The world complains. They murmur like the children of Israel in the wilderness. But God's called us to have a different spirit. A spirit like Joshua, like Caleb, that trusts the Lord. God's will, specifically, is that we bear fruit in our lives as believers. Again, I'm preaching to believers here, not the lost. Jesus said in John 15, I have called you and I have ordained you that you bear fruit. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, Be holy, for I am holy. That is God's will. God's will is that we bear fruit in our lives. In fact, it's so much God's will that God has already predestined us to bear fruit if we've believed on Christ. Now, there's a lot of theological labels out here. You know, some guy will say, well, I'm a Calvinist or I'm an Arminian, all this kind of stuff. I don't like labels. I'm a Bible believer. I don't care what a theological system says if it doesn't agree with the Word of God. The Bible does say that salvation is of the Lord. I make no apology for that. We can't save ourselves. God has to awaken us. God has to draw us. God has to save us. God has to keep us. And the Scripture does use that word predestination and election. But please understand the context in which it's used. In Romans 8, God says through Paul, whom God hath called, if you're a Christian, you've been called, He has predestinated, in other words, it's as good as done, to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you've been saved, God's predestined you to bear fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit when God's predestined that, you're not saved. 
being saved is not of works. The religions of the world say do and live. Christ says live by me. It's free. And do by me. So, I could say I'm a Christian all day long, but what if I was arrested tomorrow and I was taken to court? What is the evidence that would be brought against me that I'm a Christian? I hope the evidence would be a desire to share Christ. I hope the evidence would be victory over sin in my life. And we won't have complete victory over sin from the very presence of sin until we're glorified. When Christ saves us and justifies us, He frees us from the penalty of sin. When He sanctifies us, having predestined us to bear fruit, He gives us victory over the power of sin. And ultimately, in Christ Jesus, in our glorified bodies, we're free from the presence of sin. But friends, evidence of your salvation is victory over sin in my life. What has God given you victory over or giving you victory over in your life? That's a question to ask. Because that's God's will to give us victory. God's given me victory over pornography in my life. I can say that. Now, I must be watchful and mindful. I can let my guard down and fall back into sin, but may it never be. God's given me victory over that. God's given me victory over intense anger and a temper that could be lost like that. I've seen it. I'm not bragging on myself. All glory to God. What's God given you victory over? That's His will. If it's His will, it's going to happen. It's God's will that we bear fruit. I encourage you to bear fruit in your lives. The things, the sin that we once loved when we were in the world, we should hate now. And if you're struggling in that sin, you need to stop. The message for the Christians, stop it. Just stop. Now, as a non-believer, you can stop doing all kinds of things. You know, I could go on the college campus and I could tell those young people, you need to stop looking at porn. You need to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. You need to stop cursing. You need to stop partying. And they could stop all those things without the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean anything. Because the blood has to cover us. But when the blood does cover us, God gives us a desire to stop those things. And He'll empower us if we'll trust Him and walk in the Spirit. If we won't trust Him, if we won't bear fruit, you know what God does for His children. I'm not talking about the lost here. He'll chasten them. He'll kill them. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 that there were those who were repeatedly mocking the Lord's table They weren't taking seriously the Lord's table. And Paul said that some of the people were sick as a result. And some of them were asleep. They were dead. But he's not talking about non-Christians that went to hell because he goes on to say, when we are chastened, if, if, if we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord so that we should not be condemned with the world. So those Christians were chastened, some with death, so they wouldn't be condemned with the world. If we're not going to bear fruit and we're truly saved, God will kill us and take us out of here. I don't want that to be your epitaph. God wills that we bear fruit. But I'm thankful in Christ that God does judge us so that we're not condemned with the world. Praise God for that. You see, I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. I can't keep myself saved. You can't keep yourself saved. God has to do it. A lot of times in Baptist churches, hear me now, don't misunderstand me here. Please hear me. I don't believe the Scriptures teach once saved, always saved as an excuse to sin. But that's what Southern Baptist churches are teaching 
Well, you're saved. Write it in your Bible. It doesn't matter what you do. The Bible doesn't teach once saved, always saved as an excuse to sin. The Bible teaches the preservation of the believer. That God keeps those that are saved. It cannot be lost. Not as an excuse to sin, but as a compelling to live for Christ. It's a totally different teaching. I'm not teaching you. You can't lose your salvation, but the question is, do you really have it in the first place? I'm sorry that this has taken so long, but I'm going to say like my brother Terry said to those funeral guys a few weeks ago, you might as well take a seat and relax. Because uh, i got to preach what God told me to preach. He'd been putting up with that for years. Finally spoke up. I was glad to hear that. Maybe I'm treading into something that's not my business. Forgive me. Um, what we also know about God's will, we know it's God's will for us to not be a friend of the world. It's God's will for us to Flee fornication. It's God's will specifically for us to give thanks in everything. To not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's God's will for us to bear fruit in our lives. Friends, it's God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's God's will that the lost be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 But God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4 For God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. And if it's God's will that none be lost, what is our responsibility? If it's God's will that all come to salvation, then it should be our will. And that will should compel us to preach the Gospel to the lost. Because God's commanded us to. Not only is it God's will... That we, that none perish, but it's God's will for us to tell them. We don't need to pray about that. You don't need to pray about whether you should open your mouth and share the gospel. It's, it's already been told. Verse 17 here in Ephesians 5, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand the Lord's will. And I've shared with you some things today that are the Lord's will. We need to understand these things in these last days. But look real quickly at verse 18. He's telling us we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. So it follows that the next verse would reflect the will of the Lord. You need to understand the will of the Lord. And then what does he tell them first of all? Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's will, if it's anything, is exactly what's written here because it follows Paul telling us we need to understand God's will. His will is that we be filled with the Spirit. Now this is tied directly to God's will that none should perish. Because the Bible tells us what it is to be filled with the Spirit. It's not running laps around the church. It's not falling down and laughing and acting like a madman. Now, God, there's nothing wrong with getting excited about the Lord. I'm not, I'm not condemning that. But when God tells us to be filled with the Spirit, we know exactly what that means. We know what it means because we can read the early church and we can see that they were filled with the Spirit and we can see what they did. I don't have time to go into this. This is a message I like to preach when I'm in another church across the, uh, in, in another country. It says in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were released from prison. They came back. They gave testimony to the persecution. The believers gathered together to pray. They did not pray that God would deliver them from persecution. They said, God, we understand persecution's here. Grant unto thy servants that we would speak the Word of God boldly. And then it says this, 
the place where they were gathered was shaken. The Spirit of God came down and it says these exact words in verse 31. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they went out and spoke the Word of God with boldness. Friends, to be filled with the Holy Ghost is to be a bold witness. That's what it is. They were filled with the Spirit and then it told us what they did. God's not willing that any should perish. And God's willing that we would be filled with the Spirit and be a bold witness. We must be witnesses for Christ in this day. God's not called all of you to stand on a bench and preach to a crowd of college kids. He's not called you to lift up your voice perhaps on the streets or to travel to a foreign land where it's illegal. He's called me to do it. I have to do it. But God's called us all to be a witness. And friends, there's people in these towns, in these communities that don't know Christ or they think they do. And God's called us to be bold. That means to tell them the truth. Even if they hate us for it. Not to beat around the bush. But to be a witness. That is God's will. If we want to be understanding the will of the Lord, we need to be a witness for Him. We were on the campus of the University of Delaware the other day, shortly before the police kicked us out of there. I have been banned from the University of Delaware for life, by the way. Um, They told me that very clearly. Um... There was a young man that walked by while my friend was sharing with some students and he made kind of a mocking remark and I thought to respond, but thankfully the Lord held my tongue. Well, he came back later. He was wearing a hat and I found out later his grandfather was a World War II veteran and he, he had died recently and he was wearing a hat, you know, about World War II veterans is what it said. And This young man listened to me as I preached. And then I asked him what he thought about the preaching and he said, you know, it's foreign to me. He said, I grew up here in America. My father, my grandfather was a World War II vet. And I have to be honest with you, we never went to church. Never. I've never heard anything about this. I've never even owned a Bible. So this is foreign to me. This was an American. This was not a foreigner. This was a white American just like me. Nothing about God in his home. And no one had ever told him. I said, friend, I've got a Bible in my backpack. Will you please let me give it to you? Sure, I'll take it. I said, please read the Gospel of John. This is not religion. Maybe you've never come to church because you're disgusted with religion, but the true Gospel is not religion. Please read it. He said he would. This was in America. Someone who had never heard the Gospel. Why? Why is it that way? Because we kept our mouth shut. That's why. We're not being a witness. That is God's will. And then finally, friends, I am wrapping up. We know God's specific will. His will is all these things I've listed. His will is that none should perish. His will is that we should be a witness. And then finally, we know this is His will. Because it's the last commandment Jesus gave to His followers before He went back to the right hand of the Father. It's stated in a little bit different way in every one of the Gospels and in Acts. The Great Commission isn't just in Matthew. It's in Mark. It's in Luke. It's in John. It's in Acts. But He states it most succinctly in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. That is the will of God. And in these dark days, the Apostle says, Wherefore, be you not unwise, but be understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand that God's will is to go into all nations. 
Friends, uh, God's called us to go to all nations. If you can't go to all nations, give so that others can. Perhaps you can't go and you can't give. Pray that God would send forth laborers into the harvest. But my friend, if you're like me, if you're like my wife, and you have the capability to go, to give, and to pray, then it's the will of God that you do all three. Young people, it's the will of God that you do all three. That you be willing to go to all nations, to give that others can, and to pray that God would send forth labors into the harvest. I know, young people, perhaps your parents, they want for you a college education. They want for you a good job, insurance, a nice house. But God's will is that whatever you do, it's for the glory of God. When my daughter, when my son grows up, I pray God that my attitude would not be, son, you have to go here. You've got to get this degree. I'm not downplaying that. I'm an educated man. God blessed me with a college degree and a graduate degree. But what I see on the campuses today, thank God I'm not going to those campuses now. It's unbelievable how dark they are. But I pray that my attitude would be, if my son were to come to me and say, Dad, I'm strapping, strapping on a backpack and I'm walking up into the mountains to tell these people about Jesus Christ. I pray my attitude would be, Son, go. God be with you. Not, no, son, you can't do that. What about your education? Parents, we need to commit our children to the Lord. And if God gives them that spirit to do what we were unable to do, may our attitude be, God, go with you. That's the will of God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I've endeavored to do this. I've failed in many ways. All the world is not only the nations, it's America. It's the darkest of places. We stood outside a mosque in Philadelphia the other night while the Muslims were coming in and out and they hated us. We didn't spend time criticizing Islam. We were there to lift up Jesus Christ. When Paul was in Ephesus and that big uproar happened... Finally, someone came to Christian's aid, one of the townspeople, and said, listen, these guys aren't robbers of churches and they've not been blaspheming Diana. What's the problem? So obviously, Paul's strategy was not to just go in there and criticize the religion. He went and preached Christ. So we're just there to preach Christ. There's a lot of problems with Islam. But let's preach Christ and may God deliver them from that wickedness. But they hated us for it. But those poor men, they're deceived. We had to tell them. We had to tell them. It's God's will. Since God's will is that we go into all nations, I, I ask that you would pray for us as we leave this soil very shortly. We'll be gone for some time. I don't know when God will provide the means to return. And I'm thankful for churches that support the preaching of the gospel in all nations. Please understand, we are so grateful for your support. I trust that we've been good stewards and have used it. Just know this, the gospel has gone forth. It went forth last week. That's part of my ministry to go wherever there's an opportunity. Over the last year, it's gone forth on more than 50, close to 50 college campuses, many cities, several different countries. But God's calling us back to South Asia. I'm going to stop off in Africa on the way over. I ask that you would pray for us. 
I'll be honest with you, friends. I've preached all over America the last six to eight months. And I want to do what Paul and Barnabas did. I want to take my coat off and just shake And say to America, your blood be upon your own heads. You've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. From henceforth, I'm going to the nations. But friends, God hasn't called us to abandon America. We've got to keep preaching. But there are people around the world that are hungry. They will do anything to get a Bible. When we preach, they'll gather in silence and listen. Not like these college kids who scream all kinds of blasphemies that I wouldn't dare repeat in this place. Not like the college kids who hold up signs that say, I love pornography. Or Jesus was a homosexual. You see, they don't do that over there. Oh, they're lost. They're in bondage to religion. But they're not so dead and spoiled that when they hear the message of hope, they're unwilling to listen. How can we stay here? So I just ask that you pray for us. The Lord's going to have to make provision. um, But we trust Him. We're going to need a place to live over there. Um, my My search has been unfruitful there thus far. But guys, when God calls you, you got to go. You can't wait around for everything to fall in place. So we're trusting God will provide us a place to rent while we live in Nepal for six to eight months. If the Lord will allow us to stay, it's, it's complicated because of visa restrictions. We'll stay until April of May of next year and try to be the best stewards we can be. And hopefully the Lord will allow me to come back and give testimony that God answered what you prayed for. And you just pray for us. That's all we ask. We're so grateful for your monthly support. It's that consistent monthly support that helps us understand more what we're able to do. You know, we, we want a budget and everything. You know, I don't want to get too carried away with that because we got to go. God never guys where He doesn't provide. And I was meeting with my trustees yesterday and Brother Terry is one of my trustees. I'm thankful for that. And I was sharing with them the financial reports from last year. And what amazed me is everything was on a graph. And almost every month, what was expended was more than what came in. Yet, we had no lack. We never borrowed a dime. We don't do that in this ministry. God, prov- I cannot explain it to you. But that's what God does for His people. And you all are a part of that. Some of you individually over the last year. Some of you corporately as a body. And I just want to say thank you. It's 1225. We've got a baptism. I dare not take away from that. In another country, church didn't get over to 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So let's be like those believers today. But friends, who I am is not important. What is important is in these dark days, we would awake out of sleep, arise from the dead, that we would walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, and be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Friends, I hope you understand what the will of the Lord is. I've shared with you right from the Word of God. Be like the Bereans. Check the Scripture to make sure these things are so. And God, friends, it is God's will, as Pastor Holder's been preaching in Sunday school, that we get our priorities straight. And I just want to affirm that. I stand behind Him when He says that. We ought to love the brethren so much. Something else that's God's will. This is coming to mind. I'm not going to preach on it too much. But God's will is that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, especially as the day of Christ approaches. Friends, being right with God isn't how many times you punch the time card to come to church. 
Going to church doesn't make you a Christian more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. But if you're truly saved, you ought to desire to be with your church family as much as possible. Not because it makes you right with God, but because these people are your closest friends and family. It's not enough to be here on Sunday morning. And that's the only fellowship you have with these brethren. If the church doors are open and you can be with these precious people that are your family, be here. It's God's will in these days not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Don't misunderstand me. All kinds of programs and stuff isn't an indicator of God's will. But this church is not a church about programs. When this body meets, it meets to fellowship over the Word. And I hope it always is like that. And I just encourage you to be a part of that. That is the will of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you and give you peace. I'm but a servant. And I consider it a great honor to speak to you this morning. Many of you are older, wiser than I. And your years could teach me much. And I'm thankful for that. God bless you. Amen.